Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Jesus says, I lay down my life. It's my choice. I paid for your sin. I came back to life again. It's all done by me. So he was in control of the thing from beginning to end. That's the power. Now listen, I certainly would like to have someone that I can trust in that's got character. But when they don't have character that's sustainable, then their character could be pretty um, unstable. It could be very waffling. You don't know how, how consistent that character is going to be. But when you match it to someone who has the power to maintain the sustainability of their character, which no human really does, then you know that that person is fully worthy of our trust, which would be the Lord. And so now he uses himself as an example. This is who I am. This is what I said I would do. This is my character. Now let me show you my power. I will lay my life down, but I will also choose to take it up. I'm in full control of what I do. That's incredible power. Let's go back to the passage a little bit more here because now you're going to see what happens, how they react to this. Verse 19. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Because Jesus is saying, I have the power, nobody takes it, nobody can do anything apart from me. I'm the one who's in charge. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Seems like that's a continual argument that he, he's insane. He, he's not real. He's not authentic. He's not genuine. He really can't be real. It must be some other force that's doing this. And I'm sure a lot of you can hear a lot of secular arguments going on as you talked about Christ with your friends and how they, just, they define him based on late-night comedians rather than what Scripture says. Then verse 21, though, gets interesting. But others were saying this. These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? And so I think there are two reasons just from this one passage why Jesus is not a madman. The first one are the words. It says, these are not the sayings or the words of a demon-possessed person. In other words, a, a madman wouldn't say these things. A demon wouldn't say these things. This is not coming from a mad person or a demon. And then when it says, and a demon cannot open the eyes, in other words, he did the works that were so powerful. And these works became fully trustworthy. And he, he says here, look, he opened the eyes of the blind, can't he? And what they're doing is referring back, you folks that are new to this, we've studied this already, all the different miracles that Jesus did earlier on in the Gospel of John, again, proving that he not only had the power to do this, but he did it to say that when I'm speaking to you, that I am the Lord, I am Jesus, I am the Messiah, that you would believe me, that I am who I claim to be. And that's why there was a little bit of that argument there. And I hope that for you all, that you might look at this and say, you know what, he's not a lunatic, he's the Lord. He's not crazy, he's Christ. It's not uh, insanity, it's divinity. I really see who he is. I want to close with a, an illustration that uh, I thank Colleen for giving this to me. She picked up a book recently that was published in the middle 1800s. It was written by Rufus Anderson. He was a man who did the history on the Sandwich Islands. And it was interesting because when he did this particular history, he then spoke in current history of their day of what went on with Pele the uh, goddess of fire, of the volcano. And I don't know where you are, and I, don't, I may get some pushback because this is going to go on the radio here in our culture. But instead of giving to you what we might call revisionist history of what people are saying, 
I want to go back to the original writings of the people that were there, that interviewed the people that were there, rather than reading something in a tourist booklet that you might get in Waikiki about this tremendous event of a lady named Kapiolani. Now, there are two Kapiolanis in the history of Hawaii. You have Kapiolani I, and then much later you have Kapiolani II. Kapiolani II would be your queen, Kapiolani. I'm not talking about number two. I'm talking about what we'll refer to her as chiefess. All right, you have male chief, chiefess, the woman, way back at the time of Kamehameha and coming off that genre. So we're way back in the early 1800s, just about the time the first wave of missionaries were showing up. And I want you to hear the story about her because it is so rich about her who came to faith in the Lord as one of the leading early ali'is of the island. Now again, to bring you back into context, you'll remember what was happening on the mainland was that the missionaries were coming because one little island boy was basically a stowaway on a little ship that wound up in New England where it was basically the hotbed of the first great awakening. And he came to faith in Christ and before he died, he kept going from church to church and group to group, pleading that people would come to Hawaii, to the Sandwich Islands, and present the gospel because it was so depraved that his own brother died on his back from a spear that was thrown at him, and he survived it. And that's why he fled the island. His own mom and dad were killed in the same battles. It was such a depraved island at the time. So now he does this, and these missionaries are coming, and they arrive, and when they did, it wasn't long, it was very soon that it just seemed like the second great awakening that was happening in New England was also happening here, wave after wave. There were so many people coming to faith in Christ. In fact, Hilo at one time had the largest church in the entire world of thousands and thousands of island people, mostly Hawaiian back in those days, more than any other church, bigger than Spurgeon's church, bigger than any church in history at that time because of the wave of what God was doing. Well, just before that, Kapiolani had a great impact in that. And let me read this to you. It says, in July, Kapilani had a painful illness. When Mr. Eli expressed anxiety for her recovery, her reply was this, I wish to suffer the will of God patiently. If it be his will, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Then I shall be free from sin. Once I greatly feared death, but Christ has taken away its sting. And so from this sickness, she recovered and started to really take a stand for Christ all over the Hawaiian Islands, not just one island. So not long after her recovery, Kapiolani made a visit of the mouth of Lahaina. Now, if you've been to Maui, Lahaina is the whaling city, whaling town of that island. So she was going to Lahaina, where Mr. Richards was then residing. Her habit was to make a daily call on him and his wife. And she had many nice things to say, and one was this. I love to go to the house of God, for there I forget the world. When among the other chiefs, I hear so much about money and cloth and land and ships and bargains that I wish to go where I can just hear of God and Christ and heaven. And she continued. She says, when I hear preaching about Jesus Christ, my spirit goes out to him. And when I hear about God, my spirit goes out to God. And when I hear about heaven, my spirit like goes up to heaven. That's her spirit. That's her desire. That's her love for the Lord and her desire for more intimacy with him because she knows that she is owned and known by God. But the story goes a little bit further. The visit of Kapiolani to the great crater of Kilauea 
at the close of 1825. Now think about that, how long ago that was, first wave of missionaries. While on her way to the new missionary station at Hilo, here's what happened. The people living in sight of this greatest of volcanoes were more wedded to their heathen superstitions than those who had been further away, like other foreigners. They daily sacrificed to Pele, the reputed goddess, supposed to have dwelling in the fiery abyss. Now let me pause for a moment. You know, there seems to be a coming back again of at least holding on to our traditions of what went on, our culture. Many of the hula that they do, they go up to the crater and they do their hula as unto Pele. And if you just read our paper about 10 days ago, they had a little little picture of a group of men that were at the crater's edge doing their hula, their dance unto Pele. Now, whether they really believe in Pele or not, I don't know. What I do know is they want to keep that thing alive. And we know who's behind that already would be Satan. But that's not where I'm going. Let's go a little bit further. It says, the spell of this superstition was best broken. This is cool would be best broken, perhaps, by a bold intervention on the part of some native of rank and character. And Kapiolani became the honored instrument for this purpose. In other words, she says, if I can break them of this this worship of Pele and this non-worship of God, it's got to be not just some little native. It's got to be someone that is held in high esteem and rank. And she says, I have to be that one. And so she now plots her journey to the top of Kilauea, to where the abyss of the volcano is spewing its lava. So it goes on to say this. So hearing at Ka'avaloa that missionaries had commenced a station at Hilo, Kapiolani resolved to visit the missionary station. Though her visit involved a journey on foot of more than 100 miles over a rough and most fatiguing way. Here it is. And as Kilauea was on the route to see the missionaries, it was her purpose... After reaching it, Kilauea, to give practical demonstration of her own belief that Jehovah is the only God of the volcano. You see, she saw Jesus Christ as the good shepherd, but not just as a little shepherd that takes care of his people, has got a little do-gooder stuff, but as the almighty and only God that also wanted to have that intimate relationship with us. She goes a little bit further and goes on and says this, In this act of Christian heroism, she rose far above the ideas and sentiments of her countrymen, indeed of her own husband, who even tried to dissuade her from what appeared to be such a rash enterprise. The destruction of the taboo and the idols had not given the people a new religion, which really it doesn't. You cast out the demons, more will come back unless you bring them solid truth. And scripture in the context of that phrase is you need to, while you're pushing out the evil, you're pushing out Satan, in its place has got to be none other than Jesus Christ. So just doing this without now telling him what we do worship would leave a much worse vacuum. So it goes on to say, On her way she was accosted by multitudes and entreated not to proceed, lest the goddess of the volcano should be provoked to destroy her. Her answer was, quote, If I am destroyed, you may all believe in Pele. But if I am not, then you must all turn to the Palapala, which is the writing of scripture. In approaching the region of the volcano, she was met by a prophetess of Pele. A prophetess. In this way, basically, a demonized person representing herself as a representative 
a spokesman for the so-called Pele, who this woman warned her not to go any further, lest the goddess should come out against her. Quote, and who are you? said Chiefess Kapiolani. Well, I'm, I'm one in whom the god dwells, was the reply. Then, said Kapiolani, you are wise and you can teach me. Come, sit down. And as she hesitated, this woman, Kapiolani commanded and said, no, you sit here. We're going to talk. So food was offered this woman, but she said, I'm a god and I can't eat this. And so she held a piece of tapa in her hand. You know what tapa cloth is? piece of tapa in her hand, which she said was a letter from Pele. Now let's pause for a moment. You that are born again believers know there is no Pele. Now there are systems that are fueled by demonic issues, so there is real negative beings behind all of it, but there is no real Pele, Pele. And so this woman is now saying, I have this, and I'm going to now speak to you about what Pele has written. So you know that there's something very nefarious going on here. So then she held up this piece of tapa and said, this is a letter from Pele. So Kapiolani said, okay, read it. The prophetess was reluctant. But when forced to comply with unexpected presence of mind, she held her cloth before her eyes and poured forth a torrent of, listen to this, unintelligible sounds, which she would have them believe were in the dialect of the ancient Pele. Now you take that whole concept of speaking in a language that this person doesn't know, that's unintelligible, and then trying to say what it's supposed to mean. That's what was going on at this time. So how does Kapiolani deal with all of this? So after all of this was done, Kapiolani then produced her Christian book and said to the imposter, you pretended to deliver a message from your God which none of us can understand. I too have a palapala and will read you a message from our God which you can understand. So then Kapiolani read several passages of scripture and called this prophetess attention to. Now listen, this is where we're going. She could have read anything she wanted, but she chose to read portions of it that would draw the attention to the character and the works and the will of the great Jehovah, the true God, and to Jesus Christ, here it is, as the Savior of the lost. Now I cannot, I cannot emphasize this enough. There's a lot she could have done theologically. Today we go around and we try to use a lot of academics and a lot of apologetics and why we believe the Bible and all of that. And I'm not anti that. It's important. We need to do that more. We need to equip our young people more. But on the other hand, the real power in all of that still boils all down to they will not understand that. It's just one argument trying to beat out another argument unless they know that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the Savior and the one who will pay for their sin if they would trust him. So she got right to the heart of the gospel. Well, it didn't just end there. So after she did that, the prophetess then held down her head and said, my God has left. I can make no reply. And so again, Kapilani invited her to eat. And this time, she no longer refused. Now, I don't know if that prophetess came to faith, but I knew this, that the word of God so diffused her of whatever her belief that she essentially just kind of gave it up. I don't have the God. I'm not speaking for God. And since I was a God, couldn't eat before. Now I can eat. Let's eat. Something happened because of that. Again, the good shepherd on the sound of truth. Just a little bit more and we'll end this. Kapiolani was met by a Mr. Goodrich at the crater who had heard of her intended visit to the volcano and had come from Hilo about 30 miles distance. She was glad to see him, and with her company of about 80 and Mr. Gingrich, she descended some hundreds of feet to the black ledge in the crater 
and they're amid some of the most terrible natural phenomena on the Earth's surface, which had ever been so appalling her countrymen, she then decided to just sit down in the midst of all of this and eat the berries that were consecrated to Pele, and then she threw stones into the seething mass, like throwing rocks at the so-called Pele. You're nothing. Jesus Christ is the only true God. Eating these berries, that others would say that just touching them, they would die because they were for Pele. Why? Because there was really no Pele. It's just false teaching, energized by Satan. But God is the only true God. That wasn't enough. Then she calmly addressed her company, the group that was with her, the 80 that were her in her entourage, and she said, Jehovah is my God. He kindled these fires. I fear not Pele. Should I perish by her anger? Then you go ahead and fear her power. But if Jehovah saved me when breaking her taboos, then must you fear and serve Jehovah. The gods of Hawaii are vain. Great is the goodness of Jehovah in sending missionaries to turn us from these vanities to the living God. And then they united in a hymn of praise and bowed in prayer to Jehovah, the creator and governor of the world. Well, I want you to know, I think only a person could do that in the face of tremendous opposition from her own countrymen, from all that they were taught, her own historical background of worshiping Pele before she came to know Christ and to make such a purposeful stand is because she knew that Jesus Christ was the only God. But she knew he was her shepherd. So I don't know what you're facing in your life and all the onslaught of it, the isms and the spasms. Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he's not just an academic big guy that we find in scripture. He is king. And he can only be your friend because he's king and he's your Lord. And now he's your shepherd. You can trust him. His character and power proves it. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm, I'm a weak, frail, imperfect under-shepherd of the Lord. I just plead with the Lord that he would speak to you through his word and spirit that you would know the true and only God. And to do that, with great humility, you must come before him and admit that you are a sinner and there's no amount of good deeds that you could ever do that could ever earn God's favor. That if you break the law of God in one point, he says you're guilty of all of it because he wanted you and me to be totally without excuse. We have nothing to lean on. So we come to him as a broken, lost individual and the spirit of God is already working within us, convicting us of that, helping us now to be honest with that, but also making us feel so hopeless and helpless that we desperately now turn to Christ and not another lifestyle, not a religion, but to Jesus Christ who is the Lord and the Good Shepherd. And now as you look to him, then listen to his own words when he says that he'll forgive you. And he says this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. 
And so I want you to know that you are forgivable through Christ because Christ can forgive all sin. Past, present, future, venial or mortal, big or little, he is the great forgiver. But you must come to him. As we all have a sinner in need of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now some people say it's a prayer you pray. You don't really do a prayer prayer. It's more where that you in your own mind not only know that you're a sinner. Jesus Christ is your only hope for heaven. It is not by any good works. And now you're transferring your trust into Jesus Christ. Would you do that? His character is he loves you. Secondly, he proved his love to you and that while you were yet sinning, Jesus then gave his life for you. Thirdly, he wants to bring you into his forever family, into his flock. And next week we're going to learn the greatest reason we can trust him is because he's a promise maker of eternal life and can never lose it. But you must come to him now. He's calling you. Can you kind of hear his voice, not audibly, but in your heart, that this is truth? Will you embrace it by faith? Would there be anyone here today that would like to settle their eternal destiny? If you'd like to, then simply trust Christ. And if you have, then I'd like to remember you in my closing prayer. Now, when I pray for you, I'm not going to come down to where you are, or have you come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you, in other words. It's very private right now. When you are being born into God's family, it's an internal thing between you and the Lord. It's happening right now. It's by faith alone. You won't feel it necessarily. It's just something that happens on the authority of God's word. But I, I want to pray for you. Now, me praying for you won't seal the deal. It's nothing more than kind of like I'm, I'm kind of like the entrance into heaven for you in a sense. And I'm just saying I'm welcoming you in by talking to the Father about you. He already knows you. He knew you before <laughs> I ever knew you. He knew you before you were born. Now you can know him as your savior. So would there be anyone here today that would like to silently, without saying a word, slip up your hand and by that uplifted hand, silently indicate to me that today was the day that you believe that Jesus Christ is God totally and you believe that he is the good shepherd who loves you, knows you, and knows you're a sinner, knows you're in need of a savior, and then he lays his life down for you, tells you he did that, was going to do that, then he does do that, and he takes his life back again because he has the authority and power to do it. You now are trusting him. It's not how much faith you have. It's a little child. It's a grain of mustard seed. It's tiny faith, but it's got to be in the right object, and it must be in Christ. So do you believe God right now when he sent his son, and you're trusting in him? If you're trusting in him now, I'd like to pray for you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one moving, would you slip up your hand right now if today is the day you're doing that? Put it up. May I see it? Anyone at all? All right, Christians. You know, we hear all this doctrine about him being the good shepherd. You've read it probably a hundred times. But do you really experience him as your shepherd? Remember, he calls you, but he also wants to lead you. Are you allowing him to lead you and feed you? Are you allowing him to protect you when you hear warnings about false teachers and he's there letting you know that there are hired hands out there that will not be there for you when you need them? They will not be there to take care of you. They will not influence you for good, but they have their own ulterior motives. Are you heeding him when he's doing that? Because he's the good shepherd. 
Are you realizing that he wants to carry you? He loves you. You're like a little tiny lamb. And maybe everybody else lets you down, but not the Lord. Would you just tell him now you love him? Would you tell him now you'll spend time in his word and let him lead you through scripture? Is there something you need to let go right now that you've been hanging on to when he wants to lead you out? You want to still stay in an area that's not healthy for you? Do you want to just run up to the Lord now and get close to him and tell him how much you love him because you're celebrating what he's done in your life? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have identified what good shepherds were and what false shepherds were. You've then modeled what a good shepherd is. And that, Father, that you are very trustworthy. You have all the character and all the authority. And so, Father, based on your word and works, we fully trust you wholly for our eternal life and forgiveness. And then, Father, we fully wholly trust you that you have our best interest in mind as you lead us as a gentle shepherd. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.